Amen. Good evening. So good to have all of you here tonight and those of you joining again by live stream. We welcome you tonight. Genesis chapter 30 tonight. Genesis chapter 30. The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's what the word Genesis means. It is the record of beginnings. And yet, the book of Genesis covers many centuries. So much going on in the book of Genesis. And yet, we have noted that God is zeroing in on just certain individuals and certain families. Even though there's a lot of other history going on, God is zeroing in on certain individuals and certain families. A couple of things before we get into Genesis 30 tonight. Why is God doing that? To remind us that he works through individuals. He works through individuals. And he works through small groups of people. And he works through large groups of people. But one of the things we learn in Genesis is that God has to start with the family. Go all the way back to Abraham and Sarah and the struggles that they had in their family to flesh out their faith. And then you come to Isaac and Rebekah and how they struggled to flesh out their faith. And now we're coming to Jacob and his family and we're seeing how he struggled to flesh out his faith within his own family. And then we're going to go into Joseph and how Joseph obviously had situations with his own brothers and his father and all of that. What is God saying to us in that? He's saying to us that the family unit is a crucible. It's a crucible where we have to learn first to flesh out our faith. Because we live in such close proximity to each other. And it's got to start there before it can be manifested in larger ways in places like our church family, and then our communities, and our places of work, and our schools, and all that. It's got to start within the home and within the family unit. If we can't live out our faith there, then we'll never be a witness anywhere. That's why, taking a little bit of a leap here into the book of Exodus, that's why God almost killed Moses after he called Moses to lead his people out of bondage in Egypt because he hadn't circumcised his son. Why did God do that? Because God's basically saying, I can't trust you to lead my whole nation of people if you can't even lead your own family. It's got to start there, Moses. you got to be a leader within your own family. So the reason God spends all this time in the book of beginnings is he's also reminding us that the beginnings of our faith and fleshing out our faith and living out our faith has to start within the family unit. And we're seeing all of these situations come up within the family. And as I said to you before our worship tonight, I, I sort of feel like it's very conveniently this chapter divided into two sections. Verses 1 through 24 is all about identity and value and worth and the struggle for it and trying to find it 
apart from being connected to God. And then the second part of the chapter, verse 25 through verse 43, is all about the blessing of God, and we're going to talk about that tonight as well. That's our greatest wealth, the blessing of God. But let's first begin in verse 1. And even there, we see the struggle continuing that we started even looking at last week. When Rachel saw that she could not give Jacob children because Leah was just having child after child, right? She became jealous of her sister. And she says now to her husband Jacob, give me children or I'll die, okay? Notice that Rachel's response was first of all of envy and she was making a desperate demand of her husband. She saw her life's value revealed around her ability to bear children. Now think about that. And here's the one out of the two, Leah and Rachel, we know, that had a loving husband. The Bible says Jacob loved Rachel. So the love of her own husband was not enough to fulfill or satisfy her or to find her value and worth. And guess what? It never is. It never is. No matter how great a marriage is or who you have as your spouse, you will not ultimately find your fulfillment, satisfaction, value, and worth in any other human being. And when we start to look to something else or someone else other than God to find our true identity, our value and worth, we will come up short every time. Every time. And by the way, we're talking here about people who believed in God. We're not talking about pagans here. These were simply people who believed in Jehovah, but they were having a hard struggle staying connected to Jehovah so that they found their value and worth in him alone as their creator and as their God. In fact, Jacob sort of implies this by his response to Rachel's demand in verse 2. Jacob became furious with Rachel and exclaimed, Am I in the place of God? Basically, he's saying, look, you're looking to me for something that only God can give you. And, and not just a child. You're looking to me, even as your spouse, to give you what only God can give you. Now, it's not that God doesn't want us to look to others. In fact, many times God uses others in our life as his instruments, right? But the phrasing here that Jacob is using is saying to his wife, Rachel, you're looking to me instead of looking to God at all. In other words, you're looking alone to me to be the answer to your situation and your value and your worth and your identity rather than looking to God. And maybe God will use me, but you're looking to me in place of looking to God. That's the Hebrew here. And notice he also suggests the idea of hindering from God and not an inability for Rachel to conceive. In other words, he's saying, look, God's sovereign. It's not that you couldn't have children. It's God is holding you back from having children. That's between you and God. I can't, again, that's above my, my pay grade. So Rachel 
says, well, here's my servant, Bilhah. Rachel conceives of the plan to obtain children through a surrogate. We think surrogates are a more of a modern thing. No, it goes all the way back to the beginnings. Surrogacy, when women could not have children. Now, a couple things. Notice, Rachel is down and determined, I'm going to have this my way. And I'm going to get my way by hook or by crook, even if I have to make an end run around God. Because the answer that you gave me, I just have to trust God and wait for him to open up my womb, was not good enough for Rachel. We're going to figure this out another way. I'm going to give you my handmaid. Have sexual relations with her so that she can bear children for me and I can have a family through her. Now, we've already seen God's design for marriage was one woman and one man. They've already complicated the situation by having two wives, Rachel and Leah, and now they're going to bring a third one into the mix. Now, in all this mess, let's not lose sight of this. We can be confident that God is going to fulfill his promises in spite of these people and what they're doing. And God is even going to bless this family in spite of what's going on here. And we'll talk more about that in the second half of the chapter. So Rachel gave him her servant Billah as his wife, and Jacob had marital relations with her. Let's say something about Jacob. He just willingly goes along with the plan. He doesn't say, no, I can't do that. That's wrong. No, he just goes along with it. Adds another one to the mix, you see. Again, a lack of leadership in the home by him. A lot of, and again, they know God. We know that. They know God. They worship God. So what's the problem? The problem is they have to learn to stay connected to God because they are groping to find their own way, and they're trying to figure this out on their own rather than praying. Notice there's no thought of, let's ask the Lord what his plan is. There's no thought for that. It's, you know, the song we just sang is so appropriate. God, I look to you because it's such a contrast to what they were doing. They weren't looking to God for guidance in life situations. They were, they were trying to figure this out on their own. Even as we've learned in the book of Joshua, when you partner with God, you'll, you'll see victory in your life and you'll be blessed and all of that. But, but when you don't partner with God, you're going to suffer pain and defeat. And they do. Well, Bilhah became pregnant, verse 5, and gave Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He's responded to my prayer and given me a son. That is why she named him Dan, which means judge. Bilhah, Rachel's servant, became pregnant again and gave Jacob another son. Then Rachel said, I have fought a desperate struggle with my sister, but I've won. Boy, that says a lot, doesn't it, about the sibling rivalry? I mean, again, we think that might, no, sibling rivalry goes off. We know that from Cain and Abel, right? It starts right at the beginning of everything, sibling rivalry. Here's two women, two grown women who have a relationship with Jehovah God, and they've been reduced to basically, even as grown women, finding their value and worth and identity 
in bearing children and in seeing which one will have the most children and, and win. That, that's what they're being reduced to here, apart from God and staying connected to God. It's a sad, sad story, you see. And she named this child Naphtali, which means struggle. Then notice Leah decides to try a similar strategy. Leah saw that she had stopped having children, so she gave her servant Zilpah to Jacob as a wife. And Jacob again willingly goes along with it. Let's just add another one. And now there's four in the mix. Soon Leah's servant Zilpah gave Jacob a son. Leah said, how fortunate. So she named him Gad, which means fortune. Then Leah's servant, Zilpah, gave Jacob another son. Leah said, how happy I am, for women will call me happy. So she named him Asher, which means blessed or happy. At the time of the wheat harvest, Reuben went out and found some mandrake plants in a field. We don't really know what mandrakes are. Don't, don't even try to figure it out. I've spent hours trying to figure out what the modern equivalent of mandrakes can't, can't really come to that conclusion. Just trying to save you some time. Give me some of your son's mandrakes. But Leah replied, wasn't it enough, verse 15, that you've taken away my husband? Will you take away my son's mandrakes too? All right, Rachel said. He may sleep with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Notice something, something that happens in this family. Esau sold his birthright for a meal. Now Rachel is trading a night of intimacy with Jacob for food. It's sort of a pattern here, right? And Jacob comes in from the field that evening, and Leah went out to meet him and said, you must sleep with me because I paid for your services. Wait a minute. You're my husband, right? So notice what's happened here because of all this. The relationship between these two sisters, Rachel and Leah, and their husband Jacob, has now been reduced to a business transaction. Think about that. Crazy. There's not really any love being displayed here, and yet God is at work. God is at work because God doesn't need perfect people or perfect circumstances to bring about his plan and his purpose. So he had marital relations with her that night. Verse 17, God paid attention to Leah. She became pregnant and gave Jacob a son for the fifth time. And Leah said, God has granted me a reward because I gave my servant to my husband as a wife. So she named him Issachar, which means wages or the result of her transaction. Leah then became pregnant again and gave Jacob a son for the sixth time. And Leah said, God has given me a good gift. Now my husband will honor me because I've given him six sons. It's a, it's a context. So she named him Zebulun, which means gift. After that, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah, which means judge. Very similar to uh, the very first, Dan. Then God took note of Rachel. Now, I want to point out this. That doesn't mean that God had lost track of Rachel, okay? It's like, oh, wait a minute, I forgot about Rachel. The words in the Hebrew means he chose this particular time to extend his grace. God never loses track of us. He never takes his eye off of us, right? But there are times in his plan and in his purpose where he chooses a timing for something. He chooses to extend 
a certain grace for a certain purpose for something. And that's what the words mean here in the Hebrew language. He paid attention to her and enabled her then to become pregnant. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son. She said, God has taken away my shame. She named him Joseph, which means add or increase. May the Lord give me or add to me yet another son. Better than any soap opera you ever saw on television. And yet, I want to again go back. What are we learning here? We can be confident that God will fulfill his purposes. And that God in his goodness may choose to bless us in spite of ourselves. These four ladies, Rachel, Leah, Bilhah, and Zilpah, end up having the 12 leaders of what becomes the 12 tribes of Israel. And God is continuing to follow through with his promise to Abraham that I will build you into a great nation. Now, before we move on to the second part and talk about the blessing of God, I want to point this out. I want you to begin with me in verse 6 where the word God is used. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. It's the Hebrew name for God, Elohim. Okay, follow along. Then notice verse 17, they also acknowledge God paid attention. Verse 18, God has granted me. Verse 20, God has given me. Verse 22, God took note of me. Verse 23, God has taken away. What is going on here? Well, these People of God, in their head, recognize that God is at work and that God is the one behind all this and he's bringing this about. But also notice at the very same time that they're acknowledging Elohim, there's nowhere in the passage or in their lives at this point where they're trusting him. They're... they're manipulating. They're, they're trying to figure this out themselves. They're taking matters into their own hands, and yet they're calling him, and we'll get to this in a moment, they're calling him Elohim. They're acknowledging in their head, this is our God, and this is all coming from him. So they get that right in their head, but their heart is not trusting him in the circumstances and situations of their life. They're taking matters into their own hands. They're living independently of Elohim. Now, I say that to us because I think, again, it's a very cautionary tale for us. Which brings me back again to why here at the Oasis Church, we will do everything we can through our ministry on Wednesday and Sundays and our ministries that we have at this church to make sure that we are striving to touch people's heads and hearts. Because you can get someone's head to where they acknowledge that God's doing this and God's doing that and we understand God's bringing this about, but they're not in their heart trusting God. They're taking matters into their own hands and living independently. You and I need to approach God with both our heads and our hearts. We need that knowledge of who God is, but because of that knowledge, that knowledge of who God is should also then drive us to say, God, 
I'm yours, and this situation is yours, and, and we're turning to you. We're looking to you, as we sung about, to figure this out, God. You guide us. You lead us. Because the term Elohim says God is the supreme or mighty one, and it implies that, that he has creative power, that he has authority, that he has sovereignty, that he's in control, that he rules, Elohim. And yet notice, though they acknowledge that with their heads, God granted this, God took this, God took, that in their hearts, they're not really turning it over to him to let him be Elohim. I mean, Elohim is the first name for God in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God. By the way, Elohim is plural. In the beginning, God, Elohim, creative power, created the universe. Sovereign, authoritative, supreme one, mighty one. In fact, it's the same word that Jesus even used hanging on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My Elohim, my Elohim. It's an important name for God, and they're using it. But they're not living it, if you understand what I'm saying. And that's something that we need to make sure that we do, that as we fill our heads with the knowledge of God, that our heart is also connecting to God and growing in God so that we both give him our heads and our hearts. Well, let's move on to the blessing of God. The blessing of God is our wealth. It's what makes us rich. Not all the material, physical, temporal thing. It is the blessing of God. And what are we going to learn about the blessing of God? Well, one of the things we're going to learn is our lives are designed to be a blessing to others because of God blessing us. And again, God may in his goodness choose to bless us in spite of ourselves because his blessing is not based on our performance it is based on his grace, always. We never earn, can earn, deserve the blessing of God. It is something like his love that he simply chooses to do. Now, as we're going to see, that doesn't negate that I should do my part. I can't sit back as a person of God and say, well, God, I'm just going to sit back and wait for you to bless me. Uh, God may choose to do that or not, but God wants to see that we are doing our part, again, not seeking his blessing, but simply out of our love from our hearts and our heads to God. We're going to talk about this on Sunday. That's why the greatest commandment, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We're going to see those four from the book of Joshua on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. Love. That's why we do what we do. Not out of duty or obligation, but out of our love for God. Not because we're seeking the blessing, because again, the blessing of God is simply a choice that he makes to bless us, and it has nothing to do with our performance. 
We can plan and prepare and pray all we want to. It's not going to necessarily bring about the blessing of God. It's what we should do. So notice, verse 25. After Rachel had given birth to Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me on my way so that I can go home now to my own country. Let me take my wives and my children whom I've acquired by working for you. Then I'll depart because you know how hard I've worked for you. Let's stop there. That's important. Notice, to Jacob's credit, he was a hard worker. He had a good work ethic. In fact, it's detailed throughout his time in the scriptures. He did not shy away from hard work. You and I should not shy away from hard work. God created us to work. Work is something that gives us dignity and honor and purpose. And we are to work for the Lord in whatever we do. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, please stay here, for I have learned by divination. Crazy word that he uses here. I personally think the Hebrew means by experience or through observation. I don't think that Laban went to some witch or something and figured this out. Notice this, though. The comment is, the Lord has blessed or prospered me on account of you. We learned something then about the blessing of God there. Two things, in fact. One, when God blesses, it is observable. There's no sitting back, well, I don't know whether God's blessing or not. No. It will be very clear and very evident. You and I will know the people and the situations and the circumstances that God has his hands on and his fingerprints on. You and I, as the people of God, will be able to detect the blessing of God when it's around us. Even Laban, who was not a spiritual giant by any stretch of the imagination, took note of the fact that God's hand, God's blessing, God's favor, God was prospering Jacob. And the other thing that we learn then about the blessing of God is that when God does choose to bless us, either corporately or individually, God always wants us to use that blessing to be a blessing to others. That blessing of God, that favor of God, that prosperity of God is never to just stay with us. We are to be a conduit. We are to be a channel through which God can bless others through us as he blesses us. And Laban recognized that. He said, God has blessed me because of you. I stand here tonight looking out at you, and guess what I could say about you? God has blessed me because of you. You all being in my life, has been a blessing to me. That's the way it works. So that's why then he added, verse 28, Laban, just name your wages and I'll pay whatever you want. Losing Jacob was going to be a personal loss for Laban because Laban understood, as long as I have Jacob with me, I benefit, I profit from that. I prosper through him. It's the same principle. Can I just share this for a moment? 
And, and it's bigger than this, but it's the same principle that Peter talks about when he talks to an unsaved, excuse me, to a saved wife who is married to an unsaved husband. And he says to the, un, to the saved wife, he says, do you realize simply because of your presence in that home, your husband and your children are sanctified by you? God, in a sense, is benefiting, prospering, and blessing them through you. God always works that way. And I feel that way. If I lost some of you, I would, it would, I would suffer. I would be at great loss if God took you away from me. Because I know that God blesses me through your presence in my life. That's the way God works, which again is why God wants us to do life and ministry together with others so that we can be a mutual benefit and blessing to others. So verse 29, you know how hard I've worked for you, Jacob replied, and how well your livestock have fared under my care. Indeed, you had little before I arrived, but now your possessions have increased many times over, grown, experienced a breakthrough. I love that picture that Jacob is giving. It's that picture, again, of, of a great friendship or partnership or whatever where two people of God get together, and guess what? The one realizes that God has used this other person in my life to, to help me break through and, and experience growth and increase in my life, and he's used that person. Laban is recognizing that, but I, I want to give credit where credit's due to Jacob. Notice Jacob doesn't take the credit himself. Notice what Jacob says in verse 30. The Lord has blessed you wherever I've worked. Jacob credits the Lord for, again, blessing Laban, but blessing Laban through Jacob. But it's the Lord who's doing it. It's the Lord. By the way, it's interesting that unlike the previous part of this chapter where Elohim is used, Jacob uses Jehovah here instead of Elohim. But now, how, must long, how long must it be before I do something for my own family too? I've been here 14 plus years. I, I want to be out on my own. I want to find my own way, which is the way God would have it. So Laban asked, what should I give you? You don't need to give me a thing, Jacob replied. But if you agree to this one condition, I will continue to care for your flocks and protect them. Let me walk among all your flocks today and remove from them every speckled or spotted sheep, every dark-colored lamb, and the spotted or speckled goats. These animals will be my wages. My integrity will testify for me later on. I love that. My integrity will be my answer later on. Time and truth always walk together. Don't ever forget that. Time and truth always walk together. When you come to verify that I've taken only the wages we agreed on, if I have in my possession any goat that is not speckled or spotted or any sheep that is not dark-colored, it will be considered stolen. Agreed, said Laban. It will be as you say. Oh, Laban. Jacob's met his match. Jacob the deceiver has met the snidely whiplash of the Old Testament. <laughs> Laban, hmm. Because though he says to Jacob's face, yeah, I agree with your conditions, you know what Jacob begins to do? He begins immediately to protect his own interests in this agreement. He's not trusting Jacob. He's not trusting God. He only trusts in himself. 
He wants to always be in control. So here again, you have someone who claims to know God, who claims to be a worshiper of God, and yet in a moment where he could demonstrate his faith in God and say, okay, God, I'll trust you. Nope, takes matters into his own hands, just like Rachel and Leah and all the others have done. Notice the three things that Laban does to protect his own interests. One, he removes the male goats that were streaked or spotted, all the female goats that were speckled or spotted, all that had any white on them, all the dark-colored animals, put them in the care of his sons as lookouts. I'm separating all, the, all those sheep that were going to be his, and I'm going to make sure that my sons watch out for my interests. And then, notice verse 36, then I'm going to separate and put a distance between me and Jacob and my flocks by a three-day journey while Jacob was taking care of the rest of Laban's flocks. He takes every action possible to keep Jacob from doing well. You notice that? He's, he's doing everything he can, humanly speaking, to stack the deck in his favor. You get that, right? And yet, what we're going to see in the rest of this chapter is that God can't be manipulated. And you can stack the deck all you want to against God. God's just getting warmed up at that point. God will bless who he wants to bless, and no one or nothing can thwart God's blessing. When God wants to bless somebody, he'll bless them. When God wants to do a plan or purpose, God will do it. And it doesn't matter what the odds are, God can bring it about. And that's where you and I need to trust our God. We've got to be there too. We can't always take matters into our own hands and try to figure it out and manipulate the situation and, and, and stack the deck. And it doesn't need to be that way. We don't need to work that hard. We need to work hard in the things that God wants us to work hard in, but then we need to rest and trust in Elohim. So Jacob took fresh-cut branches from poplar, almond, and plane trees. He made white streaks by peeling them, making the white inner wood and the branches visible. Then he set up the peeled branches and all the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink. He set up the branches in front of the flocks when they were in heat and came to drink. When the sheep made it in front of the branches, they gave birth to the young that were streaked or speckled or spotted. What we are learning here, and I'll come back to this in just a moment, is that God blesses Jacob in spite of Laban. Jacob removed these lambs, but he made the rest of the flock face the streak and completely dark-colored animals in Laban's flock, so he made separate flocks for himself and did not mix them with Laban's flocks. When the stronger females were in heat, Jacob would set up the branches in the troughs in front of the flock so they would mate near the branches. But if the animals were weaker, he did not set the branches there. So the weaker animals ended up belonging to Laban and the stronger animals to Jacob. In this way, Jacob became extremely prosperous. He owned large flocks, male and female servants, camels and donkeys couple things before we wrap this up. First of all, Jacob was demonstrating that what you focus on by the sheep and what he put in front of them is what you become. Nicole had a great message on this when she spoke a couple years ago. 
That's what worship is about. That's why we focus on God, because as we focus on God, we become more like him. Second Corinthians, same principle. What does Paul say? That we are transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory through the Spirit of God as we behold the glory of the Lord. That's why there's so many verses that talk about looking unto Jesus. We sang about, God, I look to you. Why is it important that we focus on God? Because we become what we focus on. We become what we worship. You worship power, that's what you want to set your life for? You'll become powerful, and that will consume your life. You worship position, you want certain positions in your life, you'll do everything you can to achieve those positions, and you'll probably achieve them too, but that will be it. You, you, you know, worship material things and money, that's what you set your heart on worshiping, that's what your life will become. But when you set your life on God, then you become like him. We become what we worship. The sheep became what was put in front of them, what they focused on, what they looked at every day. And one final thing. What we also see about the blessing of God here is if you go back to Genesis 28 and you recall what Jacob asked God to do and said, if you do this for me, God, then I'll become all in with you. Do you realize that what God now is doing with Jacob is exceedingly abundantly above all that Jacob asked for? Because that's the mark of the blessing of God as well that whatever God does to bless us, it is always exceedingly abundantly above all that we can. It's always more, more, always. And I, I can say that. I mean, though, 12 years ago now, with fear and trepidation, I started this church. To see how blessed I have been through all of you and your presence in my life. Now, I, I would have started it years ago, right? Obviously, God's timing is perfect, but what I'm saying is, I would have, and I've told you this before, it gets me emotional, but if I wouldn't have, with my family, made that cross-country trek from the East Coast over here, I'd have never known you. I'd have went out into eternity without ever knowing you and I would have been so I would have missed out God always when he blesses his people always does more than we can ever imagine or think because that's who our God is he's that good and you think about it he's blessing this guy Jacob that hasn't done a lot of right up to this point a few things, but he's got a lot of growing to do. Oh, that's encouraging, because obviously we've all got a long way to go, but God still loves to bless his people, and he doesn't look for perfection, never does. He looks for those whose hearts are open to him working and moving. And even though these folks were making a lot of mistakes, their hearts were still open to Elohim. May our hearts always stay connected to our God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight 
Lord, that we have been reminded that our worth, our value, our identity is all wrapped up in you. And God, if we'll just get connected to you and stay connected to you, we will always begin to recognize and realize that we are a special and unique creation and treasure and gift from you. And God, help us also to see the truth about your blessing, that though we need to do our part and we need to be diligent and give all diligence and work hard and, and plan and prepare and, and, and pray and all of that, that none of that and all of that put together doesn't earn us your blessing. Your blessings are always born out of your grace and goodness. It's because you choose to bless us who are undeserved. And, and when you bless, we notice it. And when you bless, you want us to bless others. And when you bless, it's exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. God, you are so amazing. May we be inspired to stay connected to you and to worship you like never before. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here tonight. Hope to see you Sunday.